2 Corinthians chapter 2. We are looking at verses 12 through 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, a section that uh, I have kind of entitled, Disheartened Restoration. Let's pray and then read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith, and how great thou art. Father, as we look upon these words, may you give us insight into the heart, the the ache that the Apostle Paul had before the writing of this letter, 2 Corinthians. And yet, Father, understand that uh, we who are called by your name at times will be disheartened, discouraged. And yet, Lord, you are faithful and you will carry us through as we enter into the Sabbath rest of Jesus Christ. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And Father, let us rest full weight upon you, as you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or what we could imagine. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning here in verse 12, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. We are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the aroma from death to death. To another, the aroma of life to life. Who is adequate for these things? We are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in sight of God. The Apostle Paul, at the writing of this letter, is actually meeting with Titus. And he had written what you and I know as 1 Corinthians. He had written another letter that he describes as the severe letter. And he had no idea what the Corinthian church's response would be to either letter. And to... To say it in an easy way, these letters were confronting, confrontational. Uh, I mean, a cursory reading of 1 Corinthians, you would say, ugh. Okay, and then you realize that there's another letter, the severe letter, that we do not have. That one had to have been a dandy. I mean, 1 Corinthians is like, gee, how'd you like to stand up for the congregation and say, Paul sent us a letter. Want me to read it to you? <laughs> How about I just run off some copies and give it to you? Okay, and, and when I moved into 2 Corinthians, the book, I understood what this text is about, 2 Corinthians. It's basically ministry. If you really look at it and you're truthful to Scripture, 1 Corinthians says, get yourself right. It's personal holiness. Then you move into 2 Corinthians. Now you're in the war. 
All right. And the Apostle Paul was in the war. And yet this is one of the most encouraging texts that I've ever read. And it's fascinating. I'm sure that everybody in this room, regardless of your age, has been discouraged at some point. And in some cases, probably multiple times. Now, I understand that. Life is discouraging at times. Okay? But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been discouraged in ministry? Because that's what this text is dealing with. When you step in, and, and, and when I say ministry, I'm not talking about the paid minister. In light, this text is dealing with a pastor. But I'm talking about if you're saved, you have stepped into ministry. You are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, if you truly serve him, you will be discouraged. All right. You you might as well understand that I stepped into the ministry line. I have stepped in the discouragement line. Because it's coming. If you're not being discouraged right now, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, the day's young. Okay? It's just that simple. And anybody who's in ministry will be discouraged. There will be blessings beyond your comprehension. There will be heartbreak beyond your comprehension. And that's uh, what we're looking at. We're looking at the Apostle Paul's aching heart. Is that's really what you're looking at in 12 through 17? And, and, and he just lays it out there. And we begin there in verse 12. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, stop right there. We're going to start looking a little deeper into what was burdening his heart. But I want to start with a letter. I read this last week and I want to share with you again. All right. Okay. It comes from a book called The Glory of Ministry. Okay. By a guy named A.T. Robertson. And this is a letter that is in the book on the glory of ministry. All right. Dear Jim, I am through. Yesterday, I handed in my resignation to take effect at once. And this morning, I began to work for the blank land land company. I shall not return to the pastorate. I think I can see in your heart as you read these words and behold, not a little disappointment, if not disgust. I don't blame you at all. I am somewhat disgusted with myself. Do you recall the days in seminary when we talked of future and painted pictures of what we would do for the kingdom of God? We saw the boundless need for the unselfish Christian service and longed to be out among men doing our part toward the world's redemption. I shall never forget that last talk On the night before our graduation, you were to go to the foreign field and I was go to the first church of blank. We had brave dreams of usefulness and you have realized them. As I look back across my 25 years, I can see some lives that I have helped and some things that I have been permitted to do that are worthwhile. But sitting here tonight... I am not more than half convinced that God never intended me to be a minister. If he did, I am not big enough and brave enough to pay the price. Even if he leads you to write me down as a coward, 
I'm going to tell you why I've quit. In these years, I have found not a few earnest, unselfish, consecrated Christian. I do not believe that I am specifically morbid or unfair in my estimate. So far as I know in my own heart, I am not bitter. But through all these years of convictions, all these years of conviction has been growing within me that the average church member cares precious little about the kingdom of God and its advancement or the welfare of his fellow men. He is a Christian in order that he may save his soul from hell and for no other reason. He does as little as he can, lives as indifferently as he dares, and if he thought that he could gain heaven without even lifting his finger for others, he would jump at the chance. Never have I known more than a small minority of any church which I have served to be really interested in unselfishly devoted to God's work. It took my whole time to pull and push and urge and persuade the reluctant members of my church to undertake a little something for their fellow men. They took a covenant to be faithful in attendance upon the services of the church and are not one out of ten ever thought of attending a prayer meeting. A large percentage seldom attend church in the morning and a pitiful small number in the evening. I didn't it didn't seem to mean anything to them that they had dedicated themselves to the service of Christ. I am tired, tired of being the only one in church for whom real sacrifice is expected, tired of straining and tugging to get Christian people to live like Christians, tired of planning work for my people and then being compelled to do it myself or see it left undone. Tired of dodging my creditors when I would not need to if I had what was due me. Tired of a frightening vision of a penniless old age. I am not leaving Christ. I love Him. I shall try to serve Him. Judge me leniently, old friend. I can't bear to lose your friendship. Yours of old, William. Okay? That's ministry. Remember, what was the title of the book that I came out of? The glory of ministry. All right. And, and I think that we miss that at times. I, I, I see in the United States today that if you have your television program and your radio program and you've published a bunch of books and da 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 da, you know. And I remember reading lectures to my students by Charles Spurgeon. He says, We believe this day that we should be hoisted on the shoulders of men and carried out as great heroes as they took our Lord and Savior out on a cross. And yet people get into the ministry expecting the whole world to bow down and exalt them and applaud them and they have no clue what they have stepped into. Paul had left Ephesus. He had come to Troas. To get to Troas, he would go north out of Ephesus. He could go by boat or he could go by land. Troas is a uh, seaport city. It's on the edge of the Aegean Sea and Western Asia Minor, what you know as Turkey. It was founded in roughly 300 B.C. It's 10 miles from a city that you all know, Troy. There its name comes, Troas. It's in the province of Messiah. Um, uh, Augustus made it a Roman colony after he conquered Asia Minor. And Paul's departure from Ephesus... 
uh, was for possibly multiple reasons. One possible reason is that there was a huge riot in Ephesus. Ephesus' main trade was to make idols. Well, you've got a guy comes in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and one of the things that you're going to get in trouble with is what? Idols. And he was having such an impact in Ephesus that the idol business was going down the toilet. And there was a riot. Okay, now this is after he spent two years in Ephesus. So he's got two years planting a church in Ephesus, and the city erupts in a riot. Okay, this is after spending 18 months in Corinth and read 1 Corinthians and that place had gone to in the proverbial handbasket, right? So you would have to say you got three and a half years of what was the point? I got three and a half years of struggling for Jesus Christ, tasting day, teaching day in and day out, loving these people, growing in these people, and just being a part of these people. And this is where we're at now. Woohoo! He may have been forced out of Ephesus, thinking that his work was done or lose his life. But I also know another reason that he left. It's here in your text. He couldn't find Titus. Now, perhaps the riot started and got the two's timing kind of messed up. And Titus was a little bit late getting over to Troas. Perhaps that's what happened. But it's obvious in this text he was going to meet Titus in Troas. Why? He wanted to know the response of the Corinthians to these two letters and their con- his confrontation. So he had arranged to meet Titus in Troas. Titus had been in Corinth on the other side of the Aegean Sea. Titus had been in Corinth to find out the condition of the Corinthian church. Both of these letters that he had written were confrontational, to say the least. And he was eager to get Titus's report. How did they respond to the Apostle Paul confronting them? And you know what? I believe Paul is just like you and me. Okay? You know why I believe that? I believe that until he heard the word from Titus, he would have thought the worst. Don't we do that? We start speculating on something and all of a sudden it becomes this massive force of evil. This is going to be awful. And how am I going to deal with it? And this is what I'll tell them. And this is why they'll respond. And this is going to be nasty. And then you come up and find out that they repented and they love you. And you're like, what am I supposed to do now? I had all these really good things to say. Yet the grief of the heart was tough on Paul. It was oppressive on Paul. See, he went to Troas to meet Titus at rendezvous and to get a report. Listen, 1 Corinthians is an indictment on a church. I don't care how you read that. I mean, if you look at it, they're getting drunk at the Lord's table. They were... Sexually abusing one another. They were suing each other. 
Rich people would have a potluck, but they'd have the good food in the early part because the poor people had to work all day. When they got there, they got leftovers. There was divisions in the church. There were schisms in the church. They were adhering to false teachers, false apostles who were literally betraying the apostle Paul. Somebody had stood up and it confronted Paul to his face and said, he is not worthy to be listened to. He is not to be trusted. And no one said a word in his defense. This is a place where he labored day in and day out for a year and a half. They didn't like us. We had church on Sunday and Wednesdays and we had a couple of things on the Saturdays where we would, you know, do some painting. and stuff. No, he would go from house to house to house, day in and day out. Strengthening so that these people could stand. And he sends them a letter. that is, You know what? And parts of it's sarcastic. But if you think about what he had done for that church and their response... It would be tough not to be sarcastic. And so he was concerned about the response. What are they going to say? Remember, they got false teachers all over the place now. That place was so awful that the great preacher Apollos, when asked to go there, said no to Paul. You go. I don't want no part of that mess. Paul had been to Troas before. Acts 16, verses 8 to 11, we see a record of it. And um, in that first visit, apparently, he didn't plant a church. Now, I really doubt that he didn't share truth. (laughs) I don't think you could get him to shut up. But he did not plant a church there, if you read Acts 16. But you also look in Acts 20, verses 6 through 12, and you will find then there is a church in Troas. So this is not his first trip. Okay. But if you read your text there, verse 12, why did he go to Troas? Well, one was to rendezvous with Titus, but there was also another reason for the gospel of Christ, for the gospel of Christ. You know what they call that? Where I grew up at to evangelize when you're taking the gospel of Christ I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all who would believe. So that is evangelization. He wanted to evangelize. Well, what happens if you get people saved? Poof, you have a church. It's fascinating. It is completely against the model you see taught today in our seminaries and in our communities. You want to plant a church? What? Go get people saved. But we don't do that. That's work. Yeah, it is. Especially when you consider how few Christians really know what the gospel is. So it's probably a good thing they're not sharing. You start a church, you come with the gospel. He had gone there for the gospel of Christ. Not just to meet Titus, but for Christ. He may have had to come early because of the pressure in Ephesus. That's a good possibility. Uh, Perhaps Titus had been delayed. But he did share the gospel there. And probably the church that you see in Acts 20 is the fruit of what he did when he was there. Because look what it says. A door was open for me. But not just any door. It was a door in the Lord. A door in the Lord. Paul likes this. 
If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, he says, I would like to come back to you and visit with you. But in Ephesus, what had happened? A door had been opened. He liked hanging out in God's open doors. You know? And if you're really honest with yourself, that's a good place. He stayed in Ephesus because there was a door. And you know what is amazing about the door in Ephesus? He says the the door for the Lord had been opened in Ephesus and there are many adversaries. See, you can handle all the adversaries that come after you if God has opened the door. If you open the door, when the adversaries come, you will leave. And if you're smart, you will. But if the Lord has opened that door, stand there and smile. It makes them nervous. I stayed because the door was open. But I want to show you something. I went, came to Troas for the gospel of Christ when a door was open for me in the Lord. Hmm. There was a door open in Troas. It was not opened by human ingenuity. It was opened in the Lord. It was opened for me in Christ. By God, in the power and the strength of the Lord, this door is open. Paul knew what this was. He had been there. He had prayed for it. He had longed for it. Paul prayed, would you please pray for me? That the door will be opened in the Lord and the gospel will go through with his power. The Lord had given the Apostle Paul a tremendous opportunity in Troas. Now, for the Apostle Paul to know that, then he had to have had some success. Right? I mean, if he says this door was opened in the Lord, then that means that there were some blessings going on with the preaching that he was doing. There must have been many who had come, many who had believed, many who had responded, many who were interested. Tell us more. How else does he know that there's a door open? Unless he tests it. Right? He preached. People believed. But like the letter that I read from William, there's an issue. As he preached in this open door that the Lord had opened, he was really preaching from a broken heart. I cannot think of anything that would cause greater grief than a distracted preacher. Think about this for a second. This is the Apostle Paul. He has success in his ministry in this place and he didn't want to be there. Try that. Try that. God's blessing it, but I don't want to be here. His heart was overwhelmed. 
His heart was burdened by the Corinthian catastrophe. What had happened in Ephesus? What was going on in Corinth? And it would be difficult for him to pour himself into a ministry that was wide open to him carrying that burden. I mean, he says it right there in verse 16. Who's adequate for these things? You ever thought about it? Who's adequate for this? Now, I've run into people who think they are. They make me nervous, but they think they're ready. And you're just like, gee whiz. It was, think about this for a second. It was the discontentment of his own heart that cut him off from this opportunity. This is Paul, people. In fact, he he was looking at a, 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 a marvelous situation that every servant of God longs for. It's right there. And yet his heart wouldn't give him rest. There's every indication this is what literally Paul would have prayed for, this kind of opportunity. He'd already been to Troas once, and it's obvious that whatever was going on wasn't receptive to the gospel. This time it says the gospel was ready. He'd gone there for the gospel of Christ. Look, the door is open in the Lord. This would have been the fulfillment of the passion of Paul's heart. I mean, if I don't know nothing about the Apostle Paul, I do know he had a passion for the redemption of men's souls. Verse 13, had no rest in my spirit. Had no rest in my spirit. Huh. Deeply troubled. Let me, let me show you something here about this man. In uh, chapter 7, verse 5. <clears throat> For even when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without. Fears within. You know what that means? There's no rest in your spirit. You've got the fear inside of what is going on in Corinth. What is going on in Ephesus? What in the world are we doing? And why is the Lord tarrying? Why doesn't he come and take us all out of here? And then you've got the conflict of the people. Alexander the coppersmith wants to do evil. The Corinthians, they don't even love me no more. They don't even care anymore. They have perverted what I have given them, the precious treasure of Jesus Christ. No rest in the flesh. Verse 6, but God comforts the depressed. Guess what? Did you know that when you sign up for the ministry, you get to be depressed? Woohoo! What a deal! Everybody's saying, dude, why are you telling us this? Let's go back to false teaching. <laughs> it's just more fun. Had a fear that all the work in Corinth was for nothing. He was depressed about it. He had no rest. Would the church ever embrace him again? He didn't know. Do they love him? Do they even care? Would they listen to him again? Would they repent? I mean, we don't even like to use that word anymore. I can't use that word. Why? It's offensive. 
Would they deal with the divisions that are in the church? Would they deal with the quarreling that is in the church? Would they deal with the confusion that was in the church? Would they deal with the stupid teaching on marriage that was coming out of the church? Would they deal with the sexual sin? Would they discipline the man who indicted shamelessly Paul? Would they confront the false apostles? Would they stand for truth? It's all in his heart. To say the least, it caused a troubled heart. An unresting spirit. He didn't know the answers. He had no idea what the people would respond to. Let's be realistic. In my track record of confronting people, I am O for filling the number when I confront people. I confront people, they start the Second Baptist Church. It's just the way we do it. Confront people, watch. It's just so fun. He had no freedom to minister without some kind of response from Titus on, dude, what did they say? And you know what? He was useless. There's no joy anymore for Paul's restless spirit, which is fascinating. Everybody talks about the book of Philippians, right? It's just a book full of joy. I mean, the word joy shows up there all the time. You know what's amazing about that book? He's chained to a Roman guard in prison at the writing of that. And he had more joy chained in a prison than he did ministering in the church. You figure that out. There's a danger for a preacher at that time to be bitter to the world, jealous of other ministers. It is a danger to be drifted off to sea. And you end up writing a letter like Williams. That is where Paul was. There was anxiousness there. He was burdened. He was overwhelmed. He had no heart for ministry. He was discouraged. He was disheartened. Someone, and I wrote this quote down. I think it was Spurgeon. I can't remember. Either Spurgeon or Linsky. Said this, quote, Time lost, nourishing a broken heart, is time lost for eternity. Unquote. The Apostle Paul turned from an open door. You think about that for a second. You let that soak in. The Apostle Paul turned from an open door. That's amazing. Look what he says. Back to our text. And the rest of my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them. Okay, who is them? According to Acts 20, it would be the church. This baby infant church had believers in it, had some eager yet to hear. And he turned and he went on to Macedonia. Now, I want you to note something in this text. Okay? Do you notice the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Just make a note. I don't know how many times that I have heard people tell me the Holy Spirit is going to fill in the blank, and then they don't do it. So I don't know who they're really talking to or who they're listening to. Paul, 
wanted to take the gospel out of Antioch and he wanted to take it to the Chinese. And it says that the Holy Spirit said no. Okay. Paul says, then I'll take the gospel to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit said no. Well, I'll take it over to the coast. And the Holy Spirit said no. And then you have what is called by theologians the Macedonian call. And the man of Macedonia says, bring us salvation through Christ. And that's where he went. He wanted to go back and visit the church in Thessalonica. He'd been run out of there with the threat of killing Christians. And he went back and he says, perhaps if the Spirit will bring us back, we will come. But our adversary has laid many obstacles in our paths for us to come back. So he knew the difference between when the Holy Spirit was stopping and when he was up against Satan and his people, his creatures, people. He knew the difference. This man is not dull to the Spirit. He understood. And yet he said, I took my leave of them. I went on to Macedonia. See, he knew what Titus would do. He knew that it was going to take him five days on the northeast corner of the Aegean Sea to get over to the trail in the other belly of Macedonia. And that's where he would eventually run in. See, what Titus had done, had gone to Corinth and then was going to go back north. He's going to go up through Berea where they'd gotten run out of there, through Thessalonica, where they'd gotten run out of there, and back down through Philippi, where he'd gotten run out of there. And that's the trail he was taking. Paul was very aware of where Titus was, and he left an open door so he could rendezvous with Titus. He had this plan. He knew what was going on. And yet, who's leading him? A broken heart. A broken heart. A restless spirit. A man who said the condition of my heart would not make me effectual in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is best I get this thing resolved. I'll go find Titus. And that's what he did. See. Paul had to know. How did the Corinthians respond See, this is the dark side of Paul's life. We don't like things. We think, man, this guy just got up and started. He made Peter look sloppy walking on water. This guy was out running. You know what? He had a door open for him, and he was so restless and depressed in his spirit over what had happened in the church. He left the open door. Now, I know none of us in this room have ever walked away from an open door of the Lord. Paul was on the edge. But you know what? Paul was not William in the letter that I read you. Go over to chapter 4, verse 8. Paul's at a time of weakness. Don't you kid yourself. Don't you kid yourself. But you know what? Paul knows that it's not the end. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted. Okay, in case you were wondering, in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. I know that none of you have ever been perplexed in ministry. I just live there. I'm just perplexed. It's just, I have my doctoral work in perplexed. 
Not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And we're always caring about the body, uh, the body, the dying of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may be manifest in ours. See, he, he was discouraged. He was depressed. But he was not defeated. He was not defeated. He was still holding on to hope. Still holding on to hope. Listen, Paul was discouraged. People, I don't want you ever to get this out of your heads. Because if you truly minister for the Lord Jesus Christ, guaranteed, you will be despairing. You will be perplexed. You will be discouraged. But you will never, ever be defeated. I don't care how bad it looks. I remember going through a situation a few years ago, and uh, some of you are aware of it, and, and it was awful. And, and it was, I, it was, boy, it was heartbreaking, and you just, just, what the, is going on? <laughs> and somebody came to me and said, well, you know, at least they're not crucifying you. And I looked him straight in the eye and said, at least if they were crucifying me, I'd see the end. <laughs> and then they kind of like, oh, gee. <laughs> you know what I really see here? The amazing love that he had for the Corinthians. And let's be realistic. The Corinthians, read that first letter. What a bunch of knuckleheads. I, you just sit there and go... How does this even classify as a church? When you start perverting spiritual gifts to show off, how in the world do you call yourself a church? Then I look around today and say, oh, that's easy. (laughs) They do it everywhere. How could they have ever questioned this man? How could they ever have doubted his integrity, his character? This is not a heart of a faker. This is not the heart of a self-serving prophet. This is not a prophet seeker peddling the gospel. Here he is. His love is so deep that they've cut his heart in half by their actions. But you know what? He knew he wasn't defeated and he was still holding on. Discouraged. Amen. But not done. Not finished. See, he could go the right way or he could turn and go the wrong way. And I'll show you the right way next week in detail. Because it is amazing to me when I look at verse 13, taking my leave of them, I left an infant baby church because my spirit was so troubled, I was useless. But thanks be to God, he says in 14. And it's almost like, wait a minute, how do you go from abandoning an open door in the Lord to thanks be to God? (laughs) Somebody took a chapter out. There's something missing here. No, they ain't. 
No, there ain't. We'll look at it. But I want you to see how discouraged Paul was. You've got to get a hold of this. Because I guarantee you, everybody in this room has been discouraged. And I know some of you say, more than once. But if you're in the ministry, you don't need to line up for it. How do I overcome it? How do I stay in restoration? It's easy. Follow Paul. Follow Paul. And we'll look at that next week. Father, I just praise you for your word. I praise you for my brother Paul who has gone before us. Father, may we rest in the assurances that as you protected him, as you strengthened him, as as you gave him grace beyond grace. Father, the same is to us. Father, help us who are called by your name to walk in the glory of the risen King. Father, help us knowing what our King suffered. That, Father, we will bear it with joy in our heart. Know that we bear in our bodies the dying of Christ so the life of Christ will be seen in our bodies. Father, help us to hear the words of the Apostle Paul and the heartache that he had for the church. And, Father, may we have the same heartache, but, Father, may not may that heartache not become hopelessness, but, Father, may that heartache become a greater love and a greater humility before you, as Paul says, who is adequate for such things. To your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen.